Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, as John's already welcomed you, if you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Brian, and I also have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And if last week you're unable to be with us uh, because of what Facebook called uh, Snowmageddon or Snowcopolix or what, a snow, Snowpocalypse, is that, am I saying that right? Snow, I should start over. Um, it's good to have you all here together this morning. My name is Brian. Anyway, if you're able to, unable to be with us for any reason last week, uh, it's our, it was our annual State of the Church uh, sermon where Pastor Wayne sets a trajectory for where we're heading as a church uh, in the year to come. And uh, if you were unable to catch the full game, if you will, he has assured us that he will bring us the uh, Sports Center highlights next week and uh, three or four minutes of kind of some of the things coming up. But of course, you can always catch a reprise of the full game uh, on our church website. So we invite you to do that. Well, this time, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we'll be looking at Psalm 95 this morning, and if you don't have a Bible of your own here, uh, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible of your own at all, uh, we'd invite you to take that uh, as your own as a gift from us to you. And as you turn there, uh, I want you to think about what it means uh, to the idea of what it um, fundamentally settles down to being to be a Christian. Uh, with the idea of what does it mean to actually sign on for the Christian faith. And one of the phrases that surrounds kind of that, um, that commitment to Christ is this idea that we then have a relationship with God. Or you might be asked the question, do you have a relationship with God? And so the idea of being a Christian and having a relationship with God, the reason those two things are connected is this understanding that because of our sin, we were separated from being able to have a relationship with a perfect, sinless God. But through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, by putting our faith in him, he removes that separation of sin through the forgiveness of it, and we are brought back into a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe, thus giving us that relationship uh, both now and for all of eternity. And if you've been part of the life of this church for even five minutes, you've heard this. You've heard this is uh, what it means. Uh, this is why we gather. This is the purpose uh, of our lives is to have a relationship with God. Um, and if you haven't heard it, if you're, if you're newer to this idea, then, well, today's a great opportunity to listen in to what it would look like to have a relationship with God and what that actually plays out as. Because um, given this idea of a relationship with God that we throw around in kind of our vernacular of what it means to be a Christian, um, this understanding that we... Uh, have this relationship, not just someday in heaven, but right here, right now, upon placing our faith in Jesus Christ in real time, live, right now. Um, the question is, and I think the answer is far too often assumed, uh, the, the question is, what does it actually look like to have a relationship with God? What does it functionally look like uh, to actually have that relationship? Because a lot of times we compare it to, well, just like any other relationship you have on earth, but Let's be honest, that's a little unfair. God is invisible, um, and your you know, person sitting next to you is not. And so there are some challenges as to, okay, well, how do we actually relate to as a simple human being, one of many billions of people on the earth, with the God, with the creator of the universe? How does that really play out? Well, for over three millennia, uh, for those who follow the one true God of the Bible, the answer to that question, how do we relate to God, has been found primarily in the book of Psalms. That when you open the book of Psalms, you are opening uh, arguably one of the most read and loved books of the Bible. It's been said about the book of Psalms that it has dried more tears, comforted more hearts, covered more hurts, and soothed more sorrows than any other part of the Bible. And in fact, even the songs that we express in worship, uh, many of them, if not nearly all of them, come from the Psalms in some way. 
And so the book of Psalms is a collection really of 150 different songs or prayers written by several different psalmists, uh, including King David, Moses, and several others from the Old Testament, uh, written to communicate to God that which represents a relationship with God, uh, where the author in each case is being honest to God. And that's the title of our series. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, having a relationship with God, when it comes to relating to God, or frankly, any relationship in our lives, uh, the quality of that relationship in many ways, we could say, is marked by the measure to which one is willing to be honest and true to themselves within that relationship. That we would agree that honesty and transparency is a mark of a healthy relationship. For example, for those of you who are married in the room this morning, just think about how you presented yourself, say, on the very first date with your now spouse. I would bet that you felt a lot more comfortable this morning uh, rolling out of bed with, you know, bedhead and a little bit of dry, crusty drool on your cheek today than you would have on that very first date. And that over time, the quality of your relationship with your spouse, whether in good times or bad, is marked by an increased measure, an increased ability to be honest and true to who you are in that relationship. And the book of Psalms reveals that same idea, that the writers come honestly and plainly to God, bedhead, sweatpants, you know, morning breath, metaphorically speaking, and the whole bit, that they come honestly to God. And so what we see in the psalmist are a quality, tenured, authentic relationship between the writers and the God of the universe, as evidenced by the author's willingness and ability to be straightforward, to be candid, to be frank, to be direct, sincere, truthful, and open, and honest to God. And so as we look at the Psalms, as we look at what it means to be honest to God, what you're not going to find is... um, like this fluffy charade in the Psalms. You're not gonna see uh, the psalmist, you know, in being honest to God, really just blowing smoke and only saying niceties in the presence of Almighty God. No, you're gonna see and hear and read things from these psalmists that frankly, at first glance, I wouldn't say because of probably some sort of uh, underlying fear that God can't actually zap us with lightning if he so chose. Um, Things like Psalm 22. My God, my God, the psalmist writes, why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you, but you do not answer. In other words, he's saying, God, you've completely left me hanging here. Or Psalm 55 starts off. This is the opening line to this guy's prayer. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive into the realm of the dead. In other words, let my enemies be buried alive. Can you even pray that? I mean, I know Jesus said to pray for our enemies, but I don't think that's what he had in mind. And so clearly what we see here in the psalmists is they are being honest to God on how they actually feel uh, toward life and even toward God. And so over the next several weeks, what we want to do is we want to look at the book of Psalms as uh, a relational template, if you will, as to how we can grow in this very thing that we signed on for, how we can grow in our relationship to God, how we can uh, together grow in our ability to be honest to God, not just in the good and the easy things, but in the tough things as well, in pain and suffering and frustration and even disappointment um, and anger toward or with God. Because God wants, with you, the quality of a relationship that is marked by, again, that quantity or the measure to which you are willing to be honest with him. Because he's God, he can handle it, and he already knows how we feel anyway. And so each week, we will look at a different relational theme in the Psalms to which we can look to as a guide to be honest to God. Uh, Themes like 
lamenting, which is a fancy psalm word for complaining. How do you, according to scripture, complain to God? Uh, Confession. Seeking wisdom and direction from God. And how to actually and genuinely give thanks in all circumstances, whether good or bad. And each week following the sermon, what you'll find in uh, actually the sermon notes portion of your bulletin, and I don't have one with me, but in the sermon notes section, you can see that there are seven daily readings that reflect that week's sermon. So for you to read, uh, even more accurately, uh, for you to pray as you, again, grow in being honest to God uh, with the help of these prayers and the help of these prayers that have gone centuries before us in Scripture. And so with that, our very first theme, our theme today uh, for us when it comes to the good things in life and, and even more so the bad things that come our way, we want to start with the most important response to God uh, in which really any other topic and any other theme that we look at in this series, you could say all the other themes hang on this one theme that we're going to look at uh, today that really it's the theme of all 150 of the Psalms to which all the other sub-themes will fall under, but this is the primary response, this is the lead theme in all of the Psalms and that theme is worship. Worship. We want to look at the theme of worship in the Psalms. Now, given that I've uh, given you the topic of the day, honestly, at first hearing, if I was sitting where you were sitting, I'd be kind of bummed. Because when I think about being frustrated and angry and disappointed and lost or confused about God and just other negative states of minds towards life and things going on, I really could think of no more like churchy, preachy, Sunday schooly answer than saying, okay, just worship. Uh, it's like, come on, what happened to lamenting and complaining and being frustrated and honest to God? So um, if I could invite you just to hang with me, I will do my best to communicate well how the Psalms reveal that when it comes to anything in your life, whether good, neutral, and particularly bad, that the most important line of communication you can lean into, that you can direct toward God, is going to be that of worship. And so hang with me. Don't bail and check out ESPN.com or Pinterest just yet. Uh, give Psalm 95 a chance here this morning as uh, we're going to examine what really is considered the flagship psalm when it comes to worship psalms in the scripture, Psalm 95. And so I'd invite you to hear the word of the Lord with me, Psalm 95. All right. Starting in verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." All right, well, I invite you to pray with me as we reflect on the implications of this psalm and worship in our lives. Father, would you reveal to us this morning uh, that more important than any other expression that uh, we could ever look at in our lives and we'll look at in this series, that the one that covers them all and leads them all and, and being honest to you is that of worship. 
And so we ask um, that any disconnect with that reality would be bridged through the understanding of your word and through the guidance of your Holy Spirit among us this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so worship. Uh, first of all, we've got to say, if we're going to talk about worship, what is worship really? How can we define worship? Because we say, for example, right now, we gather for worship here on an hour on a Sunday morning. But is this limited time together really the full expression of what it means to worship? Well, no and yes. No in that what worship truly is, is this. This is worship. Worship means to assign ultimate value to something. To assign ultimate value to something. Literally comes from the word uh, worth, worth-ship. And thus, to give our worship to something or to someone is to give it such a high value that you go as far as to live your life in accordance to it. Romans 12.1 says that uh, we are to offer our bodies, offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That when we give our whole selves over to God, that this, it says, is your spiritual act of worship. And so giving uh, your worth to something, in this case, God, means that every fiber of your being, every moment of your days, lives to reflect and express the ultimate value he has in your life. And then our gathering together here for an hour on a Sunday morning is a concentrated expression of that worship that both reflects and contributes to lives lived that strive to give ultimate worth to God in every fiber of our being in every moment of our days. And so what we're seeing here basically in Psalm 95 is that in expressing worship to God and assigning ultimate value to God, that the psalm is saying this is the reason we are here. This is our purpose on the planet. This is why we exist. If we can discover it, it's to give worship to God. Uh, the first two commandments reflect the same reality. Uh, the first two of the 10, as they basically declare, you are to worship God alone. Uh, first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, either on earth or heaven, and bow down and worship it. In other words, to assign ultimate value to God is to not assign ultimate value to anything else, anything lesser than God, such as a false god or an idol. Later in scripture, Jesus himself was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? In other words, why are we on the planet? Why do we exist? What's the main reason we are here? And this is his response. Love or worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. He says the second is to love your neighbor, but that all the law and the prophets, all these things hang on this command. And this greatest commandment is what we see expressed in Psalm 95. And the psalmist, as he writes in verse one, uh, he's obviously, he's loving and worshiping God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his emotion, we could say. As he says, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us extol him, meaning praise him, extol him with music and song. And so again, when it comes to our worship on a Sunday morning together, uh, this is an expression of us as a community, as you can see even in the psalm, it's the plural pronoun, us, that we together are worshiping God in music and song, but it doesn't just end there or rest there alone, that um, a heart and soul and emotion that worships God in an hour on a Sunday morning is a reflection and an overflow of a life in one's strength and mind that's fully devoted uh, to God as well. Verse six, we see strength. As uh, Psalmist says, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. 
bowing down and kneeling here is not just some ceremonial motion, but it's an expression of a life that is surrendered to God, that by one's own strength, by one's own choosing, by one's own free will, uh, you elect, you choose to bow down, you choose to kneel your life into surrender to quote the Lord, your maker. Uh, and that when we surrender to him, we can be confident that, as it says in verse seven, that we're not just surrendering hopelessly, but verse seven, that he is our God. And that he, excuse me, and that we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And so when we use our strength to give ourselves over to God, we be confident that we're giving ourselves over to a God who loves us and will care for us as we are the people under his care. And then thirdly, we see that we love and worship God with all of our mind. As verse seven continues, Psalmist says, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. What he's referring to here is uh, previous decisions made by God's people that when they were in the wilderness with Moses, that even though God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, God's people chose to worship not the one true God, but instead of being mindful of God and all that he had done for them, they of their own choosing, their own cognitive mental volition, they chose uh, to break the first two commandments and they worshiped false gods and uh, worshiped idols. And if you know the story, it's the, the little golden calf. And so they worshiped these things instead of the one true God. And so we see reinforced throughout scripture, just as in Psalm 95, the first two of the 10 commandments and Jesus' own words, the greatest commandment of all, Worshiping God is the reason we are on the planet. Um, and as true as that is, uh, it still sounds a little churchy, still a little preachy, still a little out there without any legs under it. So um, recognizing this, here is the big idea that we wanna get to this morning with this idea of worship being our lead theme in this whole series. As we look at what it means to be honest to God, again, not just in the good or even the mundane, but even the bad stuff as well, here's the big idea. When it comes in your life to seemingly unresolvable, that's the key word, when it comes to unresolvable disappointment, frustration, anger, dissatisfaction, with regard to any issue in your life, the issue really in the end is not with that object of your disappointment, your frustration, your anger, and dissatisfaction, and it is almost always an issue of worship. That when it comes to the things in our life that seem unresolvable, and that is the key word, not saying we can't have dissatisfaction or disappointment or frustration in life and even toward God, not saying that, but when there is no light at the end of the tunnel, that there is no opportunity or hope for resolve with that particular issue, whether it's your career, whether it's a relationship in your life, whether it's just your life in general, the core problem is not with your career, the core problem is not with your relationships in your life, the core problem is not your life in general, the core problem is a problem of worship. And saying that, that's kind of a huge statement. Um, frankly, one that if, if I was sitting in your seat again, I probably wouldn't like very much. It kind of starts to rub me the wrong way. So we'll continue to unpack it as we see why worship is our core problem in all of our life's struggles and issues. Here's why worship is a core problem. In the same reality that we just painted, that the first commandment, the greatest commandment in which all the other commandments hang, that we are to love and to worship God, um, is also the same commandment that when we break it, that when we sin in this way in which all our other sin also hangs. It's the commandment that when we break it, all of our life's disappointment, frustration, anger, and dissatisfaction 
hang, when we break the command to love the Lord our God alone and not other gods. Now, as you hear that, you think, okay, wait a second. That can't be true. You know, as I look at the Ten Commandments, you know, I would be thinking, you know, there's um, a lot of commandments on there, and I would think that the one that says worship God alone and not other gods, not idols, that's, you know, I've probably broken, like, the one about lying and stuff, but this one, worshiping God alone, it's kind of like a freebie. It's like a couple of gimmies. It's like the, the free space in bingo. And we think, you know, thank God we're not tempted to worship those same uh, kind of weird idols and things that our antiquated ancestors had to struggle with, worshiping these strange little golden calves or uh, gods. They, you know, they suffered with, uh, or the temptation of that day was what they call polytheism. There were gods for everything in their culture. There was a, a god of the mountains, a god of the sea, a god of the land. Uh, in fact, that's what we see the psalmist refuting here in several verses for the context of that day. Verse three through five, he's saying, hey, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. And that's a small g because there are no other gods. He's saying, in God's hand is the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. In other words, there are no other actual gods. There is no God of the mountains. There is no God of the sea. There is no God of the land. There's only one true God who created it all. And so in our day, thousands of years later, we aren't tempted to worship the God of the mountains or the God of the sea. But do not be mistaken. There is still idolatry. There are still false gods among us. Because again, what is worship? Worship is this. Worship, again, is assigning ultimate value to something. Assigning ultimate value and then naturally living your life in accordance with the worth that you have already placed on it. And so we are tempted We are tempted to worship. We are tempted to give our worth to something other than the one true God, to live our lives in accordance to something other than the one true God. And those things are false gods. Those things are idols of of our day that do exist. And so there are many that we could look at, um, but I will just uh, look at four real quick to kind of get us thinking on this. And I still want to be a little cheesy, churchy, preachy. And so everyone's going to begin with the letter A. Um, That's what cheesy preachers do. They start everything with the same letter or make like a rhyme or something dorky. So here it is. Um, In our society, in our culture, here's some of the false gods. Here's some of the idols that we are tempted uh, to give, again, ultimate worth to, assign ultimate value to, and then subsequently live our life in accordance to. First one, appearance. Physical appearance. Uh, Really would be hard to argue that we don't have a lot of worship and worth around this in our culture. Uh, Achievements our earthly successes, Uh, acquisitions, that which we acquire here on earth in physical or financial possessions, Uh, and then associations. Probably better said relationships, but didn't begin with an A, so. um, (laughs) Relationships like with your spouse or maybe your friendships in your life or even your own children. Uh, But you could say associations too because um, it kind of that who you know and who knows you can be a really big deal in your world. And unfortunately, that world didn't end with high school. And so we still have that lingering around. And I want you to hear, even as we look at these things, hear correctly what I'm saying. Not saying these things in and of themselves are bad. Not saying, uh, in fact, any one of these things could in fact be a blessing and a good thing from God. But the question we're trying to answer is, have you made any of these things your ultimate thing, that which you give ultimate value to, that which you live your life in accordance to. That's what we're on the hunt for. What is it that we're giving all of our worth to other than the God of the universe? Because in the end, if you allow yourself to slip into idolatry, if you allow yourself to give ultimate value and worth in your life to something lesser than the one true God, whether you recognize it or not, in the end, you are settling. 
You are settling for a generic, cheap imitation of what the one true God can offer you. And uh, to help illustrate this a little bit this morning, um, how we subtly slip into this in our lives, and I know I have some comrades in the room when I ask this question, but how many of you, like me, uh, if have given the opportunity, could eat cereal for any meal in the day? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it doesn't matter. I hear you. There's some proud hands going up. Now, how many would go as far as say, if need be, I could eat cereal for all three meals in any given one day? How many, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, okay. Well, true story. Upon seeking out where I would um, go to college, uh, I visited um, what is now my alma mater, uh, Milligan College, not Milliken, but Milligan uh, School in Tennessee. Uh, vi- upon visiting it, one of the rules they have is that every freshman has to go on the meal plan. I guess they think we can't, we think we're going to give up eating when we go to fresh. I don't know. But anyway, so they got to feed us. And so one of the concerns is, um, you know, what are they going to be feeding us? So I remember, you know, walking in the cafeteria, kind of checking out the food line, kind of honestly being a little eh about what I was seeing and what I was gonna have to live off for the next four years. Uh, But when out of the corner of my eye, I saw it. It was the wall of cereal. (laughs) Floor to ceiling, giant plastic founts dispensing gloriously name brand cereals. (laughs) Kellogg's Apple Jacks, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, General Mills, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and General Mills, Lucky Charms. And it was in that moment that I knew this is where God was calling me (laughs) to pursue my education. And so all was well. But then after my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if it was budget cuts or what the deal was. But not all at once, but slowly but surely, one by one, they started replacing my name brand cereals with generic, cheap imitations. (laughs) And the outrage, the outrage. I mean, I remember just saying out loud, Apple Dapples are not the same as Apple Jacks. (laughs) And there is no way that Marshmallow Mateys can give me the same luck and good fortune that of me Lucky Charms. (laughs) And so, I suffered through the injustice for the next three years. But honestly, uh, I'll tell you, after, after a couple months, truthfully, um, I didn't recognize the difference anymore. Somehow, they had permanently re-engineered my taste buds to accept the generic brands. And now I can stand before you 15 years later as a family that, I don't know, we still, now we eat generic cereal and I would guess we save upwards of tens of dollars a year doing this. <laughs> And I know no difference. I know no difference. (laughs) And so the point is, there's a point, that when we fail to pay attention, when we fail to recognize that which we are actually worshiping, when we fail to pay attention to that which we've ultimately given our value to and living our life in accordance to, we risk slipping into idolatry. We we, we risk um, slipping into and not even realizing we are living our lives for a cheap imitation, for a generic and false God that actually never truly satisfies. 
And so in an effort to examine ourselves and to identify those temptations in our life that are actually all among us all, this is, again, this is the one we break the most as far as a commandment in our lives, so struggle that we most struggle with but don't recognize it as such all too often. I wanna ask you a few questions that I want you to reflect on that will help you expose what it is you are tempted to most worship outside of God, what you are tempted to give your worth to and thus live your life in accordance with. And so just a few trigger questions that again get to the heart of the question of what is it that we're worshiping outside of God. First one I would ask is, what do you find yourself daydreaming about? That with no intentionality on your part, you just kind of naturally find yourself slipping into longing for this or that thing or person. Could reveal an idol in your life. Second, what do you spend your time and your resources on? Uh, For better or for worse, the way that we spend our time, the way we spend our money uh, can expose really where our ultimate value is tempted to be placed or actually taking place. For example, when it comes to the case of time. Uh, You say that you put in all these extra hours at work for the care of your family, and don't misunderstand because I know there's a lot of truth in that. But if you peel back maybe one more layer of that onion and you're honest with yourself, does some of that, uh, that extra effort have to do with maybe an idol of your own accomplishments? Or, Or maybe the other A, your associations that come with those accomplishments? And then one more trigger, and I think really this is the zinger. This is, uh, if I could ask no other question, this is the question uh, I see in my own life that most reveals where the idols are hiding beneath the surface, and that is this. What is it in your life that if something happens to it, someone messes with it, if it gets off kilter even just a little bit, you freak out, you become undone, or even just the threat or the idea or the thought of anyone messing with it? causes within you anxiety and nervousness just to rise up. Uh, it consumes you. Maybe for you, you if you're honest, you, you're so obsessed with your physical appearance that if someone throws off just one day of your weekly workout routine, you just go berserk. And people start to ask, is that guy actually on steroids? <laughs> Maybe for you, it's when your life's relationships aren't all mended and perfect and flowing smoothly. You just can't hardly even function as a human being because of a human relationship that could be tinkering in your life. Or maybe it's when uh, things aren't exactly as you map them out in your finances. Or maybe when all's not well at work, you just, you can't function. Your, your blood pressure goes through the roof. You, your, your anxiety fills. It is, again, it's the thing that really, when it's messed with, you go crazy. You're left, as we said earlier, if we're honest, getting honest to God, it's the thing that leaves you frustrated It's the thing that leaves you angry. It's the thing that leaves you disappointed. And in the end, it's the thing that leaves you dissatisfied. And to clarify, really, these questions are not the goal, but it's to clarify the real question as to what in your life, here's what we're aiming at, what in your life are you tempted to worship to sign ultimate value to in so much that you're living your life in accordance to it rather than to God? They're not easy questions. They're not easy things to face. But kind of bringing this full circle as we look at this theme of worship. Here's the irony of any sermon on worship. No preacher needs to get up and convince you uh, to worship God, to, to muster up some worship for God. Because really, honestly, we all are already naturally worshipers. We all live for something. We all assign ultimate value in our lives and live in accordance to something or someone. It's already there. The question is, where is it? And is it something or someone that in the end 
will leave you frustrated, angry, disappointed, dissatisfied, and not truly fulfill you. One pastor writes it this way. He says, it is easy to see that you and I have been created to worship. We're flat out desperate for it, from sports fanaticism to celebrity tabloids to all the other strange sorts of voyeurisms now normative in our culture. We evidence that we were created to look at something beyond ourselves and marvel at it, desire it, like it with zeal and love it with affection. Our thoughts, our desires, and our behaviors are always oriented around something, which means we are always worshiping, ascribing worth to something. And if it's not God, we are engaging in idolatry. But either way, there is no way to turn the worship switch in our hearts, quote, off. Um, another Christian author, Becky Pippert, says it this way. says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who lives for acceptance by other people is controlled by the people he or she seeks to please. But one thing is for certain, we do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. So do you see what all of this is saying? That all of us are gonna live for something. We all hang on something. We all have to live for something, whether that thing, uh, whatever it is, we're so desperate for it. We're so uh, dependent on it. We so desperately want it. We're so afraid of losing it. We're so freaked out when anyone messes with it that honestly, your relation to it is worship. That you have ascribed ultimate value to something and your whole life, your whole being is wrapped around it. And so when we understand this fuller expression of what worship is, that we see that it's more than just singing songs on a Sunday together, that we understand really and discover why worship is so transforming, regardless of what it is we're worshiping, and why when we understand what worship truly is, that if we are not being transformed by God in our worship, then we are not truly worshiping God, because worship changes our lives. It changes our whole paradigm as to what we ascribe value to and what we live our life in accordance to. It's a matter of, in the end, keeping straight um, created things and the creator. It's keeping perspective on uh, the blessings from God. Again, all these things, not bad things inherently, but keeping them as blessings from God and not letting them become our God. Because again, blessings, whether physical blessings, um, whether it's the gifts and talents you use in your vocation, you can offer your gifts and talents in your vocation as worship to God. Uh, the relationships in our lives, all of it, it's good things, good things, but they're not ultimate things. They're not to become ultimate things in which we live for, in which we expect to have life from the full or life to the full, as Jesus said. Um, he said, I'm the only one, John 10, 10. I have come to give you life and life to the full. I believe this is where um, a lot of our marriages get off track. That... Um, it says in Proverbs, it says that uh, let your wife, and I'll add husband, let your spouse, let the spouse of your youth be a fountain of blessing for you. In that your spouse can make a wonderful blessing, but makes a very lousy God. Meaning if you've bought into the Hollywood lie that your spouse is the one who completes you, then you've set yourself up. You've set your marriage up, you've set your spouse up for failure. 
Because in the end, your spouse cannot complete you. Your spouse cannot save you. Your spouse cannot give you life and life to the full. And this is true in any other area. Your job and your accomplishments, they cannot save you. They cannot give you life and life to the full. Your physical appearance, in the end, it cannot save you. It cannot give you life and life to the full. So don't give your worship. Don't give all your worth, all your ultimate value. Don't live your life in accordance to anything lesser than the one true God, than the one who truly can give you life, Jesus. John 10, 10, who can give you life and give you life to the full. Again, bottom line, when it comes to worship, everybody worships. We all worship. And so I don't have to convince you today to worship. But the goal is, how can we find where we're worshiping something lesser than God and transfer worship to God? Because when it comes to the dissatisfaction, when it comes to the disappointment, when it comes to the frustration and the things in this world, more important than whether or not that issue or this issue is resolved or is not resolved, more important than that, that whether or not you could say your health is fully restored, that even if you give everything you have to that relationship and get nothing in return, even if you never get another promotion, and kind of humorously but true for some of us, uh, even if the Cubs never see the field of a World Series game again, that in the end, nevertheless, it is not your entire world. It is not all of your world. Because again, all of these issues of this world They are temporary, and they will pass away. In the long run, let God be your world. Let your life be, as it says in verse six, not just a ceremonial situation, but in real, actual, of all your strength, verse six, bow down and worship. Kneel your life before our maker. As we sang earlier, whether in good times or bad, whether you give and take away, still we will say, we sang it, but do we mean it? Still we will say in all things, we worship God. Blessed be your name. And we're going to sing here uh, one more in a moment here from 2 Corinthians that in all of this, the Lord reminds us, my grace is enough for you. My grace is enough for you. It's all you need for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so to this end, uh, I invite you to stand with me and and pray uh, for this in all of our lives, both as individuals and as a church community. As uh, this is something that we can't do on our own, only by the strength of God's Holy Spirit. And so we invite him uh, to do that in us. So let's pray. Father, this is tough stuff if we paid attention to our hearts. We all have this. We all struggle with this in one form or maybe many. And so God, in a mixed feeling of kind of helplessness and hope, uh, we lean into hope, we lean into prayer, we lean into this expression we have in you to worship you, to give you worth, and and to strive for that. And the same uh, thread that we're trusting you, that's what our prayers are, it's saying we trust you, God, to do the work in our hearts that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And so Father, would you forgive us of the idols in our life, that which we were tempted and give ultimate worth to other than you? And would you draw us closer to you, um, the one who will always be enough, because you are more than enough. You are, in fact, the most. Uh, You are to be worshiped alone. Would you lead us in this? In the name of Jesus, amen. And, And as we sing and proclaim that God is enough and more than enough in all our life's circumstances and situations and struggles and frustrations that um, if there is uh, idolatry and temptations relative to what we've talked about here this morning that you want to talk to someone about, that you want to pray with someone about, uh, specifically, we'd invite you to do that. Uh, There'll be some leaders here at the front who would be honored to pray with you. Uh, Or if there's any other need in your life, we'd invite you to come forward as we sing, expressing our ultimate worth 
uh, in our Lord, the God of the universe.